1: Free shipping on your first box and free dessert for life at Homechef.com slash locked on. That's Homechef.com slash locked on for 18 free meals and free dessert for life homeshef.com slash locked on must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert.
2: What does innovation sound like? It sounds like the luxury of being in the moment with your customer, client, or patient. It sounds like having the right information
3: right when you need it. It sounds like being at your best for your customers and your business. Thanks to Highland's intelligent content solutions that improve digital processes, innovators
2: everywhere are able to do their thing better, whatever that thing is. Now, who doesn't like the sound of that? Highland, for innovators everywhere, visit highland.com.
1: Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position by position analysis of the upcoming NFL draft check out the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever
2: you listen to your favorite podcasts.
0: Who they to beat Bengals?
2: It is the Locked On Bengals Podcast with your hosts, Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisco. Find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry and at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share. As we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you.
0: Bengals fans and welcome to another episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. The Bengals played in London today which was pretty cool. It looks like a pretty good time for all that were involved and it started out as a pretty competitive football game. We went into the half with a 17 to 10 score ended up a little bit lopsided. The Bengals lost 24 to 10. The Bengals kept this thing close in the first half didn't they Joe?
2: Yeah, they did. It was 17-10 uh, at halftime, and you could say the Bengals really had a chance to put more points on the board. They had to settle for a few punts instead of field goals because of sacks in the Rams territory.
0: Yeah, as we expected, the Bengals had a pretty tough time pass-blocking against a team that features Aaron Donald as a pass rusher. The Rams totaled five sacks against Andy Dalton, and that uh, at least once put the Bengals out of field goal range. But the biggest positive out of this game... Well, there's a few actually, but the biggest one and the first one that I noticed was Stanley Morgan as a punt gunner. We got to see him in a number of opportunities where we were trying to pin the Rams deep in their own territory, and he beat his assignment down the field every single time, including once where he runs a full circle behind the return man and just catches a punt at the one or two yard line.
2: And I can't tell if this is sad or exciting. For an 0-8 team, one of our lead stories in top performances was the punt gunner, Stanley Morgan Jr.
0: He was absolutely fantastic, though. It's noteworthy even on a bad team when you find a guy that good at special teams because true special teams aces, people will say, this is our special teams ace on our team, but most of them don't know what they're talking about. And I might not know what I'm talking about either, but I think Stanley Morgan had a fantastic day in punt coverage, and I look forward to seeing what PFF grades them at because they're pretty good at grading coverage teams and the other positives I want to just throw out there I thought William Jackson had a fantastic day in coverage he didn't have any tackles which is usually a pretty good sign although he probably could have chased down Cooper Cup on the early touchdown when B.W. Webb fell down coming all the way across the field to even make a play near the goal line but I think every time he was targeted incomplete pass had a few pass breakups to his credit really solid game for William Jackson.
2: And I'll say that Jesse Bates was extremely active, not only with coming down tackling. He was a much better tackler today, but knocking out Brandon Cooks early in the game, too, obviously helped as Cooper Cup was the only guy getting open for the Rams offense.
0: And I also want to defend him on that hit just in case any of you think for a second that there is anything malicious about that. Brandon Cooks drops his crown that hits the side of Jesse Bates' helmet. So the announcers that thought that should have been a penalty on Jesse Bates, I think that would be absolutely crazy. Also noticeable for the Bengals today, Carlos Dunlap made a big impact on the game, got his hands on a pass, had a tackle for a loss, made his presence felt. in a day that the Bengals generally had a tough time getting any quarterback pressures. And I don't know if that is because the Rams offensive line is figuring it out. They've been pretty bad this year, but Goff had time back there, and it wasn't just quick stuff from the Rams.
2: No, it was a lot of play action, too. Unlike the Bengals, you know, these offenses are supposed to mirror each other. I don't feel like the Bengals did enough play action to generate some more time for Andy Dalton to sit back there and throw. The Rams did a lot for Goff, even though the Rams weren't very good at running the ball today, and the Bengals' defense held up, I mean, in terms of where they've been all year. Um, Henderson and Gurley each with 49 and 44 yards, respectively, on the ground, 4.5 and 4.4 4 for each of them.
0: And this is a game that the Rams were trying to close out with the running game, so it is a bit of an improvement for the Bengals in that area, especially with the running backs. But the Bengals had the run game going early. Mixon broke off some runs in the first quarter. Geo averaged 10.5 yards per carry, most of those coming on a 25-yard run. Nice run. Geo had a really nice game, I think, and the limited use and the limited opportunities that he had. But instead of the run today, and really for one of the most noticeable times this season Lou Anaromo had a very rough 24 points of football the Rams for their first 24 points worth of drives so it's not quite the three quarters because they scored in the first drive of the second half but for the first half and that first drive of the second half Lou Anaromo was getting thoroughly outcoached and just would not adjust to defend Cooper Cup who had seven catches For 220 yards, including a double reverse flea flicker kind of thing where B.W. Webb just falls down on the play and was actually in a decent position. But they just did not adjust to covering Cooper Cup in the middle intermediate part of the field. And Cooper Cup said
2: after the game that what the Bengals played was exactly what they've done all year. It was on tape. So the Rams game planned for it. They knew how to attack it. And they did. And it wasn't until much later in the game that the Bengals finally adjusted and defense clamped down just a little bit. But by then, it was too late. And for me, the biggest call that took points potentially off the board were after the Bengals failed to score before halftime, the defense had the Rams at the one-yard line on third down, and all of a sudden they open up the middle. They, they keep all three safeties back, and they just allow Todd Gurley to run up the middle and get the first down. It was inexplicable. It, it shouldn't have happened. It could have gotten the ball back for Cincinnati around midfield with with a chance to put up points before halftime.
0: Yeah, I thought generally, like I said, Lou Anaruma had a really tough day play calling. The other one that really stands out to me was that Josh Reynolds touchdown where he's one-on-one with rookie linebacker Jermaine Pratt. And the Rams had three tight ends on the field for that play, so the Bengals answered with three linebackers. But you look on the right side of the field, all three tight ends are on the right side of the field. Jermaine Pratt still, for whatever reason, is asked to walk over and go man-to-man with one safety deep, one of the two wide receivers on the field. I just don't understand how your defense can possibly ask a linebacker to do that in that situation. And that's not it. Preston Brown ends up covering nobody. He's essentially in a robber zone, and nobody ends up in that zone. So that's play design. That's not on Preston Brown. That's just a good play call. But then you look, and you see B.W. Webb is trailing his crosser. Nick Vigil looks like he's a man with another tight end, but seems to pass him off to literally nobody. So there's another option there, the tight end in the seam. Who is covered by nobody until he gets to Jesse Bates, the deep safety. And then the other safety, Sean Williams, is running with the tight end on kind of a fade route. So there's two guys totally uncovered because one of them is a wide receiver running a sprint against a linebacker. I don't count that as being covered, no matter how close Jermaine Pratt was to getting his hand on the ball. And then the other one was a tight end that just gets released to nobody because Jesse Bates is in a deep center field zone.
3: It's just an
0: awful, awful play design. If you're not going to ask, at least like send BW Web to the other side of the field. Get the linebackers all over the tight ends. Get your corners over the wide receivers because they're empty. It's not like there's a threat of the run here.
2: Yeah, that's uh, something I see teams doing more and more. And when it's, you know, because if you put two receivers on one side and that's your only two receivers. If both corners go over there, you know it's man coverage, right? You know, okay, they're following, it's man coverage, so you declare yourself already right there. But a lot of teams now are trying to make it a little more confusing. So they will say, okay, Jermaine Pratt, you stay over there, you're going to play the corner on this side and be man coverage. So now the quarterback thinks, oh, it's zone, so I don't go to this guy, you end up not getting picked on a lot. The Colts really did this a lot last year. They still do it, and they, they're the ones that are like, Everyone showed them and said, wow, look what they're doing. This is this is crazy for, in a lot of ways. Uh, and it's crazy when it doesn't work, especially. And I thought if you're going to do that and it's a streak or whatever, Bates has the free safety. Get over top of them. You can't let him, him go one-on-one with that wide receiver. You've got to slide over a little bit. There was two deep plays. That was one. There was another one. And I know I said Bates played well, but the one to cup that just went over Sean Williams and, uh, and and mm-hmm. it was, uh, yeah, Tony McRae, that, yep. that really nice throw and catch. Great but throw. Jesse Bates sprints to the left and just leaves him. And I'm like, where, I, I wanted to watch it again because I didn't see where Goff was looking. I was too busy looking downfield at it by the time I looked back. But, did Goff look him off that bad? Is Jesse Bates susceptible to being moved? It's one thing I'm going to look at in the bye week and look at a lot of these deep balls. And Because people have been asking me, what's up with Bates? Why
0: doesn't he look as good? Uh, maybe he is being moved by quarterback size. The Reynolds touchdown, he was certainly moved by the quarterback size, but also Nick Vigil passing off a tight end to nobody. He had to go there. So I don't put that on, on Bates at all, even if he wanted to stay over a potential vertical route that's one-on-one with Pratt. It's, it's if he does that, well, then there's literally nobody guarding the tight end because it looks like maybe maybe this is just one of those weird plays of Bengals call, right? Where it's man, zone. yeah, it's man, but one of the men is unaccounted for because they're just expecting guys to sit down in zones, and then when they go outside of the zones that are designed in the play, there's just nobody because both right. Preston Brown and Vigil are kind of playing curl hooks. Maybe maybe Brown is getting a little bit deeper than a traditional curl hook, but. Or, or curl flat, sorry, but but Vigil's definitely sitting on the crosser when the tight end clears out. The crosser comes underneath, Bw Webb's trailing, Vigil stops, comes down on the crosser. Hmm. So I don't know what the intent is there. Maybe Vigil has a wrong call. I, I don't know, but I, I don't put that on Bates because if he goes over and helps with, with Pratt, then there's nobody on that tight end. There's a lot more to talk about in this game. Let's just get back to that in a second here. If you found $100 on the street, would you pick it up or keep walking? Of course you take the money. So why do you keep picking winners and not betting on them? That's why I go to MyBookie. It's fast, it's easy, and they pay when you win. Let's face it, where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. MyBookie offers a variety of options depending on your style of betting. You can bet on games after kickoff. If by the second half, it looks like your bet is going to lose, you can take the other side and recoup your cash. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, you can try a parlay. If all your picks come through, you'll multiply your winnings. No matter how you bet, the NFL season is the best time of year. Join now and my bookie will double your first deposit. Just use promo code LOCKEDON to activate the offer. That's promo code LOCKEDON.
3: They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
2: So the second time all year, and that's probably why this this game felt like the Bengals were in control for most of it, even though they were losing. But for the second time, they have more snaps, more offensive snaps, and more time of possession than their opponent, which is wild and they outgained them in a lot of ways and they outplayed the Rams I think in some phases of the game also it's just really to me came down to red zone scoring again which could be a, a theme this year I think uh, not being able to kick long field goals or settle for long field the play calling I think on third and long a couple for two drives where Dalton ends up getting sacked where they're in range to either kick a long field goal or punt it, they had to lend to, to punting because they don't have a uh, Greg Zerland on the other side. But I wanted to look at the offense, look at it a little bit, because Dalton passed 52 times again, 329 yards, one touchdown. He was clean. The first half, he was pretty solid. There was only a couple mistakes, a couple missed throws. I think the more he had to throw in the second half – it became clear that there were some points left on the board because he just couldn't make a play. But I think this is a great game for the people that want to draft a quarterback really bad. I know three picks last week is easy to say, oh that my God, they need a, they can't do anything until they get a quarterback. This game shows the opposite. If everyone's playing okay, but there's still mistakes or there's still room for error on, on that side of the field, or there's, or there's legit holes on like the offensive line or at receiver right now, even though the receivers are playing, it shows you that, You need the quarterback to still make a play in order to score points in this league, and he was unable to do it for most part.
0: Yeah, his deep accuracy today was a real problem. Missing Auden Tate on what could have been a touchdown, misses uh, Tyler Boyd on a post another time, missed Erickson, underthrows him another time. So, deep accuracy left a lot to be desired. Intermediate accuracy to the boundary threw a couple balls onto the sideline, including that one to Auden Tate that could have gone for a touchdown when he went on the double move against Troy Hill. Just missing throws that could have made a difference in the game. But you look at it, the Bengals had 401 yards of offense. They ran 79 plays. And somehow they do all that, 24 first downs to LA's 19, and they only score 10 points. And we talk about those inflection points. You go to the red zone twice, you score zero. You get to the opponent's 30, you take a sack for 10 yards on third down, you have to punt from the 40. The Bengals had a couple punts in this game. From inside Rams territory around the 40-yard yep. line. They punted down 14 in the fourth quarter twice. Yep. And it was still That's close. Big difference. hmm
2: Right. And so uh, I think of the fourth down call, the slant to Stanley Morgan against Jalen Ramsey. So it's an undrafted guy. You're, you're throwing him the first catch of, or first ball of the game uh, for him, first target. And you're testing Jalen Ramsey, and you can tell that's the call. That's not like something he audible to or something they saw on on the defense because the receivers, the two inside guys, tight end and receiver, go to start blocking and create that lane for Morgan. That's fourth down? I mean, there was a couple fourth down conversions that were really, really nice that saved terrible third down efficiency earlier in the game. The one where Dalton throws it away because he gets a different look that he didn't want on third down, I almost – I almost threw my phone, because I'm watching it on my phone at the time. I almost threw it right then and there. And then they come back and hit uh, Auden Tate on a, another double move where he makes a fantastic fingertip platform catch where he looks like he climbs a ladder and does a swan dive off, off the, the top, uh, the the high board, or whatever, the, the diving board. And just that's what Tate does every week. And it seems like it's incredible. But then he gets 14 targets, catches just five of them. How many of these targets were just completely off for a guy that's six foot five? And th- one of the Rams corners is five eight. You can't find a mismatch there down in the red zone?
0: Yeah, I mean Auden Tate did have at least one drop, I would say today, and so did Tyler Eifert early in the game on a third down. But a yeah. lot of those balls are not catchable if Auden Tate can't get hands to him. And and rocket balls. Those oh, slants, yeah. the first one to Eifert and then yeah. one to Boyd in the red zone. I'm like, why are you whipping it at their heads? I mean it's Good velocity for Dalton, sure. but it's not necessarily appropriate. I thought Dalton was actually – he was ice, ice cold, ice in his veins, whatever you want to say. For a couple of those fourth downs, had some great throws. Yeah. But I had the same thought as as you did on that design rollout on that third down before the third and ten. It's just like the design rollouts for this team, for Andy Dalton, like all these offensive coordinators keep putting him in the playbook for Dalton. And I think he's really bad in those situations that – I don't know what it is. You would think that the reason you do it, you move the throwing platform, right? So it makes it harder for the pass rushers. Mm -hmm. And you you make reads. Yeah, you have you make it easier for the quarterback. You know what he's looking at. The 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 Rams, I think, on that play brought corner pressure and Dalton saw it coming and just throws it away right away. Instead of just plant your feet, step up, maybe. And see if there's (laughs) anything. I mean, maybe maybe okay, in his defense. Early in the game, Lance McAllister tweeted something that ripped Dalton, like, get rid of the ball. When he goes, he looks for Mixon first in the red zone. This is the first drive, I think, when they settle for a field goal. Looks to Mixon, he's not there. Looks to his second read, looks to his third read. Nobody's open on the play, which isn't on Dalton. And McAllister's saying, get rid of the ball. And I'm like, well, where do you want it? it's hard to It's hard to throw it away there and not right. intentionally ground the ball because he's right in the middle of the pocket. So that means yeah, he has to throw There's a few it. of those. Yeah. And it's, yes, you ideally, if nobody's open, you get rid of the ball there. But when you get through three reads, you get sacked right away. I mean, it's hard for me to put that on the quarterback, especially when you look from the end zone. Nobody was open on that first one.
2: That's why I started this with this is a very good game for the guys that want a quarterback in this draft because yeah. even on those coverage sacks, there may have been three of them, and you go, man, I've watched so many teams and they make something happen there. That quarterback runs uh, or makes a guy miss, tries to buy as much time as possible. We just aren't getting very many, maybe one a game from Dalton right now.
0: Yeah, and and just hitting some of those throws, right? People, sure. Somebody had a great tweet to me. It was like, the throw you missed on Tate on the double move. You're telling me Tom Brady can't make that throw? People that want to argue that Tom Brady won't make a difference on this team. Right, like, come exactly. On.
2: <laughs> You're right. There's too many missed opportunities. And I want to talk about the run game because it was the first time they – and I, I was going to say the first time they showed that different things. That's not true. They were they were very wide zone. They've gone to inside zone. Now it looks like some more inside power shifting to, with a lead blocker at times. They brought a tight end over. They pulled some guys. They wanted the sixth offensive lineman and Michael Jordan until uh, Redman went down, and that actually looked really scary for Redman. He was he was looked uh, visibly upset. But Michael Jordan replaced him at right guard, so they couldn't go heavy anymore after that. Point being is they showed some different things. They got some. They sprung some nice runs. A bunch of eight, nine, ten yarders for Mixon. Mixon made some guys miss. It's funny because uh, you know we've done some complaining about Mixon's play this year, and it's he has three good runs, and each one of them he trucks a guy or, or, or makes a guy miss and gets extra yards after. And you go, yeah, it's kind of required. You need him to do that. Uh, yeah, there's good blocking too. Of course we want that, but you also need your your all star back to make someone miss. And then Gio has a really highlight run. I, he cuts it back. and I'm getting shades of Miami his rookie year. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Go watch Dalvin cook to see what a running back yeah. does in the open field, making guys miss. This might be the first game all season that the Bengals out averaged their opponent in the rushing game, averaging 4.7 yards per run to the Rams 3.8. And a lot of those Rams failed runs were actually Robert Woods on sweeps. Sweeps. Yeah. He had four carries for not a whole lot. Uh, but overall on a per play basis the Bengals, like I said, 22 more plays and the Rams ran average 5.1 to the Rams 8.2. And that's all those big plays we talked about all those throws, Dalton missed downfield that they just left on the field.
3: Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So
2: so three receivers caught uh, six balls. Alex Harrison, six for 97. Tyler Eifert, six for 74. Tyler Boyd, six for 65. And then you've got Tate with all his targets, five for 65. Almost had a touchdown at the end, but they reviewed it and said he lost control of the ball. Mixon with four catches and a touchdown. I can't remember the last time Mixon had four catches. Now it's only 11 yards, 2.8 per catch. Nothing crazy there, but I am happy they're actually getting him the ball a little bit to allow him to make some plays. Uh, One thing for sure that has been consistent this year now is they're getting major production at the receiver spot, just as the Rams did the last few years.
0: Yeah, it seems like that system is very wide receiver friendly, but you make a good point there about Joe Mixon. They made a concerted effort to get him involved early. I don't know if this is related to his sulking yeah. This is the best way I could describe it last week. I imagine that it is, right? Like they want to get this guy involved because when things are going well, Joe Mixon is a great teammate to have, right? He's yeah. pumping Energy everybody. Yeah. yeah. Energy producer. He's celebrating with the guys, getting them going. And so getting him involved early is great. You can tell that the team feeds on him, right? You saw Bobby Hart go down there and celebrate with him when he scored mm-hmm. that touchdown. And that touchdown, by the way, was a great play design. We've seen that from the Bengals twice well, this long. year. Yep, and that is really the only red zone play call they've had that's worked. Right, successfully, <laughs> <But> <laughs>
2: consistently, I should it, say.
0: It's quite memorable for that reason, but y- you would still like to see them get a little bit more creative with the ways they're using Mixon. Given Andy Dalton can't seem to get a screen pass over the hands of defensive linemen, they had a couple of really nice screens Too set batted. up. As One Trent- to Mixon. Yeah, and Trent Green... I think was one of the announcers pointed out they have these screens set up that are going to be good, but Dalton can't get the throw through. That's something that we've complained about, the uh, the screen design, the offensive linemen just literally let the guys upfield, don't even try to chip them before they release. And that's why they look like they're in space to block. You know, when you go and look yeah. at those plays, you're like, man, if
2: they can get this to the, to, to this guy, they're going to get a chunk play out of this and they can never get it to him. So there might be a balance of how long do I Engage with the defensive lineman before I let him go to make sure he can't tip this ball. And there's a little bit of Dalton, you got to find a passing lane. I mean, you got to go three quarters. You got to step back. You got to be an athlete. Something. I mean, something's got to happen. You can't keep getting three tip balls a game.
0: Yeah, it was rough in that regard. The screen game, again, they had one that worked nicely and they had two that, in very close proximity to one another, got batted down. They showcased Tyler Eifert, though. Six catches, 74 yards, as you said, had nine targets, had a big 27 yard catch. Think they're trying to set up a trade market there?
2: That was my kind of thought. I mean, they went to him early and often, and he helped get their offense going in that first quarter, first half. Uh, it was good to see. I, Taylor said he's wanted to get the tight ends involved. I want to get the tight ends involved. He says every week. And we're like, okay, then do it. I mean, does it take eight weeks to figure out that Tyler Eifert can win one-on-one matchups? And this is the first time he looked spry. He looked quick. Uh, he was getting open. Dalton made a couple of really nice throws. I thought the one where Eifert came up kind of limpy uh, with with a hamstring or leg, uh, Dalton threads that between two defenders. But there was a few plays for for Eifert, and I thought he could have had a touchdown one that got airmailed a little bit out of the back of the end zone. So uh, again, yeah, if they want to trade him, maybe they maybe they showcased him and said, look, he is worth a third because the reports were today from Jason Lockham Four that the Bengals want a third round pick.
0: And they're going to stay strong with that. And I I hope they get it. I hope that's them playing hardball. I think we'll talk about the trades in just a second here. It's really nice to see Tyler Eifert have another good game. And I think this conversation has really highlighted how much of a roller coaster Dalton was on today. He had some really, really good throws in this game. We're not going to take that away from him. On fourth down in particular, had some really great throws. Yep, Had some good conversions. But then... It's just a missed opportunities, right? You're looking for more consistency, especially downfield. When you get a shot at a guy with a wide receiver cord that can't get open without A.J. Green and John Ross out there, and you get somebody that gets open and they miss those throws because it happened multiple times today, that is what is so hard to stomach. Yeah, because think of the major difference between Goff
2: and Dalton in this game, right? Dalton attempted 52 balls for 329 yards. That's, that's okay. Uh, Goff attempted 31 for 372 yards. The major difference was the chunk plays. And it's not just the one to cup for 60-whatever yards that was. There was a lot of chunk plays to cup, but there was a couple also to Reynolds and, and to, to Woods. He found a way to push the ball. That's really a difference between this Ram-style offense besides the play action. I mentioned that. But they were pushing the ball vertically. Every time they could, where the Bengals were like, "Okay, here's a slant on third down. Yeah. Okay, here's here's an in route on third down, and uh, here's a screen to the boundary." Where the Rams were like, "We're gonna we're gonna force this ball into the intermediate, the middle, which Dalton should be good at. He has been good in that range." And they also were were creating plays on the outside, stretching the seams and pushing that ball, opening up that defense as much as possible. It's really one area where I'm like, looking at man, Green and Ross can't get back fast enough.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of verticals that we saw from the Rams today, and a lot of them worked, and a lot of that deep crosser. And all I've wanted this whole season is John Ross running that deep crosser and getting targeted on the opposite sideline. We didn't see that today by anybody. But Tyler Boyd running that Cooper Cup crosser. And the Bengals just aren't provoking that defensive response or aren't running that route combination. And that is, for me... The staple of the Rams offense is that intermediate part of the field in the middle of the field. That's where they chew teams up. That's where they chewed up the Bengals today. And we haven't seen that all year. Not nearly enough.
2: And, yeah, because remember we both said we could expect good production from Dalton this year in this scheme. It could be potentially a really good marriage. But when they're not running that stuff and Dalton's been good at at those areas of the field – you know, you start to wonder where, where's the misconnect here? Where is it the O-line? Is it the lack of receiving options because of the top two guys got hurt? Is it the running game not working so the play action has, has disappeared? Uh, for whatever reason, though, you, you know, that's that's the part where we're it's the balance of try something new, Zach Taylor, versus, man, do the stuff we thought you were going to do at least. At
0: least be good at something. <laughs> right.
2: That's fair. That's very fair.
0: Come on. Let's transition for the last few minutes of the show here and talk about the Paul Daner piece on the athletic today. The team is opposed to trading players. This is apparently true every year, and we've seen the history of this. AJ McCarron, Carson Palmer, you name it, the Bengals overvalue those guys, and they're mm-hmm. going to stand firm until they get something that they think is a fair offer. Saw with Chad Johnson too. You can go you can go all the way back. According to Paul Danner, it's not the Bengals' job to make teams better. This is the Bengals' opinion, the reason they won't make trades. People might not think they should, but they care a lot about winning football games this year. And finally, they don't want to get rid of their truly valuable players. And I think when you look at this from a Bengals' perspective, you're talking about rebuilding a core around 30-year-old players. You're talking about winning games this year, which I, I guess I get. I, I do truly get that one, but it just speaks to the both of these, I think, speak to the lack of an organizational vision. And the last mm-hmm. point, the first point I mentioned, actually, it's not their job to make other teams better. No, but it is your job to make your team better. And you're not exploring every avenue you can to accomplish that goal.
2: Here's my reply to that. You've already made eight teams better this year by losing – Easily in almost all of those games, um, you're making teams better, <laughs> and and you tend to lose good free agents and make other franchises better for not just one year or eight games remaining in this year, which many of these traded players would only be value of. Um, but you you know you let these guys go and be core players elsewhere. It's hard to swallow this as a response because I think you need to know how to lose if you're going to know how to win also. And they're in a situation where they need to know how to lose, how to set themselves up to be in position. The last time they were 0-8 was 2008. They ended up winning four and a half games on the final eight, one with a tie. So four, three, and one they finished in the final eight games. They went from having the top pick to the sixth pick, what ended up being Andre Smith. We cannot handle that again. We can't stomach that again. We can't end up coming back with just, oh, we got to – Nice linebacker with the sixth pick. That, I mean, that sounds great. We all could use a linebacker, but you're still in the same situation. You're not much better than you were. You may not win any more games than, than you do this year. If if that pick is a, a tackle or a linebacker or whatever it is, your future is unchanged. Your destiny is unchanged. So I think um, just I agree on your point. Having a vision it's not selling and making other teams better. It's taking a step back so you can take two steps forward, in my opinion.
0: Having a plan, not being stubborn, not holding on to these guys that, you know, they did win with them, but that was four years ago now. Yeah. These guys that are in their 30, 31 years of age, they were 25, 26, 27 at the time. And now you're asking guys to try to win a Super Bowl on their third contract and that's your core? I mean, show me where that's happened.
2: That's part of the frustration and the Lock and Fora piece from today. That yeah. other teams are frustrated because their response is, "It's not 2015 anymore. What do you want? How how do you want these guys? Why do you want these guys? Why do you want them for that value or for or that value in in return for them?" Uh, like they're almost looking at the Bengals like, "You're crazy. There's no reason you should keep these." And of course, that's what you would say, right? If you're trying to get someone from from somebody else, Jake. If I'm trying to get. You know, uh, and it's something in a trade for you, I'll tell you, well, you're not even using him. He's on your bench. Come on, send him to me. But, you know, at the same time, if you're overvaluing your own players, I'm talking from a Bengals perspective, that has been a big issue for a long time. It's one of the reasons they're inactive in free agency. Mm-hmm. It's one of the reasons they haven't maximized trade value or haven't been able to replace the guys they've lost because they thought, oh, we can replace them with Armand Bins. We can replace them with Cedric Aboyi and Jake Fisher, or whoever you roll out there. They always thought in-house they could replace these guys or that, oh, Preston Brown's better than any other linebacker out there that we can get. Bobby Hart's better than any tackle that we can sign at Walmart. It's because you're overvaluing drastically your own players.
0: Yeah, you see it with the self-scouting criticism quite a bit, right? Like they're not assessing their strengths and weaknesses well enough to move strategically in team building and roster construction. And that's getting more and more painful the more I think about this on a daily basis. So go read the Paul Daner piece. Go read the Locke and Fora piece if you haven't. I think Ian Rapaport had something on yeah. this as well. So go check all those out because those are really what is happening outside of Cincinnati, right? We've got this perspective from the Bengals side, and these guys are representing what other teams have told them, what they're hearing from agents, and Dan Snyder and Mike Brown. Beyond that this week, Mo Egger will be on as a guest on Wednesday night's episode. That'll be coming out Wednesday night for Thursday hear about his experience in London. Sounds like it was a great time for everyone involved. Props to the UK fans that went out and showed up and listened to this podcast too. And the fans of that Bengals UK podcast doing great work. Until then, Bengals fans, have a good one as best you can. We'll get through this season together.